This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie lovers, welcome back for another Anatomy of Movie here on Popcorn Talk. I want to ask you a question. Isn't life grand? Well, that is the question we explore today as we dissect life itself. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The movie from Dan Fogelman, Life Itself. That's what we're here to talk about. Marissa Serafini is here. Hello, everyone. And I'm Phil Svitek. It's just the two of us today. Yes. Dimitri, he likes horror, not life. <laughs> Apparently. So, he, uh, he will not be joining us for today. <laughs> Needless to say... We're going to have a fun time. But for those of you joining us for the very first time, a couple of things that we must make you aware of. Number one, life is unpredictable, but we're spoiler-filled. <laughs> so that you can expect from our show. So there is your warning. We, we talk about it in the sense that you've seen the movie. You already know what happens. So if you haven't seen the movie, I suggest to you that pause, go see it, and then come back to us. You can always return. Secondly, we don't just talk about the plot lines we also talk about the making of, the behind-the-scenes aspects, the how and the why, and you know, culminating into the box office numbers and everything in between before that. Lastly, if you would like to follow along with what we're talking about or gain even more than what we're talking about, because sometimes we don't touch upon everything, we do have our research provided for you in the, in the little description section. There's a PDF link. You click it, and boom, there you go. Yep. All right. With that out of the way, in terms of the administrative stuff, we get to the fun stuff, the creative stuff. So, Marissa, what did you think of life itself? You know, I really enjoyed this film. Honestly, I went in, going, I knew it was going to be a fan, because it definitely has Marissa all over it. <laughs> um, so, like, I, it's definitely caters to my demographic and just the type of movies that I love to watch on a regular basis. Um, big fan of Dan Fogelman. I mean, This Is Us is amazing. It was a huge hit. But also of his past work. I've seen the majority of his past work before This Is Us even like took off. So um, big fan of him. And so going into this, I had like high expectations in the writing and character development. And yeah, they were like, I followed everyone in this film. And I, and it, at some points I, I like I had to stop myself as like a, how is this relevant or how is this going to tie to what we just saw and eventually it does get there and and I like how it does get there because there are a lot of movies that don't you know fulfill all your questions and this one definitely did it doesn't deserve the low ratings that it's getting from the critics and we'll definitely get more into that in reception later on but I thought this was a great film I, I thought of, the writing was great and the acting was great I just wish there were some characters we saw a lot more because of the talent caliber that's in this film. But overall, I enjoyed it. See, for me, I I enjoyed it <coughs> Excuse me, well enough, right? But overall, I think what I applaud it is that it's a very bold movie. It tries to do something completely different. And I think it has a very central message that it's trying to convey in a number of ways. And it... it there's a lot of interesting things to look at. 
Um, and I'm not just talking about visually, but also acting-wise and so forth. Uh, so it's a movie unlike any that I can remember seeing. Maybe that's just me. Maybe there's examples that other people can pull. But I think it is unique. Um, and so I appreciate that. Now, I, I do think that some of the things that it went for slightly hurt it in its own sort of telling. I don't think it fully executes the ideas that it has in the full way. But, but again, I, I applaud it for having the, 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 I don't know, the gumption to go for it. Mm. And, you know, sometimes life itself can be scary, but you got to have the confidence to just go through. And this movie had the confidence to, to do what it wanted to do. And, you know, unfortunately it didn't succeed in critic size, but conversely, audiences really are, liked it <laughs> yeah so so you know there's that interesting dichotomy what one of the places i want to kind of kick off because i'm curious to know your opinion this notion of the unreliable narrator it's it's not only a theme of the movie but it's also a device of the movie right mm -hmm. and my, my problem with in hindsight with the movie wasn't that you know, we, we we kind of separated out the various characters. It was more so at a certain point, I didn't know what to believe. Too many times I was questioning what was happening, if it was real or not, versus just accepting what was. And I think that hindered it because even when um, Will commits suicide, I'm like, oh, he's not really dead. And so I, I and, and even when they kind of continued with the quote farce, I was like, Okay, but I've seen this before earlier in the movie where, like, okay, say that you're not dead. Right. And so, and so but he is. He is, and he was. And, and, but, but, but that kind of, that to me left me asking too many questions. And it wasn't, it took me away from what was actually happening. Yeah. I mean, I liked it, the idea that, yes, life itself is very unexpected and they definitely hit the nail on the head with that, that you really can't predict where your life is going. You can have some idea where you want to go and how to get there but life literally throws you curves and you, so in that sense life itself <laughs> we're gonna keep saying that over and over again is unreliable it's an unreliable narrative and it's interesting because once we get to that point of the ex explanation in the movie we've already had about two narratives mm -hmm. um and but when you watch the rest of the movie, the narration keeps changing. The narrative keeps changing from character to character. We go from you know Samuel Jackson to Will to you know our, our Spanish actors, which we'll get into. So it the narration literally changes, and therefore now also with the idea that you can't trust narrators. I'm like, who do I believe, or who do I figure what's true and what's not? So that kind of for me got a little confusing but i still understood the like the direction of where everyone was going yeah and in, in that sense it, it feels very much like usually what what happens with with movies that use an unreliable narrator um christopher nolan tends to kind of use at times unreliable narration um quote unquote um, the the number one movie of his that I can think of is like Memento. Memento, yeah. Where where we're being fed information and but it, but the, at the end we realize and the rug gets pulled out from under us and we realize the truth. And in a sense, it had too many quote plot twists mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, well, 
what as you mentioned what is the truth um well also the the thing if we're going to make that comparison memento yes it's that movie if you haven't seen it go watch it it's brilliant um it's it shows us things going backwards but the still the story the narration progresses forward and it's the same thing with this movie life itself we're getting bits and pieces from different characters here and there and eventually we see the story line up that it goes forward in a direction yeah and a a separation of that though is the fact that um that memento follows one character here we follow several and it's an interesting point you know, I, I wasn't expecting to talk about Memento in such a way, but Aaron Ryder is the producer on this. Aaron Ryder was a producer on Memento. Mm-hmm. So when and um Aaron Ryder's like like not this like that big a known of a producer. Um he is if you you know are sort of in the circle of filmmaking. Um I for me Aaron Ryder is actually like someone to really aspire to, but for, it's not like um it's not like a Steven Spielberg yeah, produced movie. Streamline or a mainstream. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron didn't have a hand in kind of helping structure it, having gone through it with Memento. Right, and like what I appreciate with Life itself is that we have different storylines that eventually have to interweave and interconnect, and it does up until you know the last ten minutes. You're, you're starting to figure out how everyone's connected, and I actually appreciate stories that are like that um and it's hard when you have multiple stories and you have to make sure they all cross at one point i i I think fogelman really does a great job of that he's done it with crazy stupid love and um this is us three different generations so he has the experience of interweaving multiple storylines from multiple timelines together and the movie as far as this the movie asks you to give a lot of trust to that that it's all going to tie together because the at least the first two quote unquote chapters, they're at least connected. We've got the same characters, sure, things keep switching in and out, but at least y- y- the fact that we're following a daughter eventually and so forth, it's like, okay, it's their daughter, fine, mm-hmm. makes sense. But when we shift over to Spain, we're in a completely different location. We're back in time. Different language. <laughs> yeah. That in itself, that, that, that was a big shift. And so you're. It, it, when you talk about the boldness, that is one of the more bolder aspects of it is to, hey, trust us. And it also just plays with that universal theme that, you know, literally it's a small world where mm-hmm. somehow, some way we're all connected, not even by the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, just by <laughs> different generations that you never know who's part of what person's storyline. Because we even see the little boy on the bus He's the one that brings us all all the way over to Spain, and we have to like go backwards with his, you know, uh, backstory to get those characters to get us back to New York. But it's it's, it's always interesting because we don't we, the movie makes a very deliberate choice, and in fact, that obviously says it. Who is the main character? Because when we follow um, uh, Rico, right, um, Rodrigo. Yeah, is his full name. I'm trying to think of like what they what the nickname they call him, but Rodrigo. We're not just seeing his backstory. We're getting the backstory of his father before he even had him as a child. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going extra layers deeper. Um, and not only that, it's not like we're even getting the backstory on Javier, who is his father. We're getting the backstory on Antonio Banderas, who 
is telling him the fact that he has a 12 minute monologue. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's your backstory, so we can get Javier's backstory, so we can get Rodrigo's backstory. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Different generations of fathers. Yeah. Or, or just like the the male leads. But I think that that 12 minute monologue, congratulations to Tony Banderas. I was like, wow, he's still talking. <laughs> there was literally a moment I was like, he, he the, Javier hasn't said a word, but. And I'm still and reading. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's 12 yeah, minutes of it's reading all subtitles. for me. Um, I love Antonio Banderas, and like I know he can speak English. So there was also a moment I was like, "Why are you speaking in Spanish?" But we're again we're in Spain. Um, but that 12 minute monologue did build up his care. I got enough out of that monologue to make me understand that he did not come from a great um, family uh, or like a great loving emotional foundation from his he had issues against his father so you can tell why he clung on to javier's family so much because he didn't have that in his life but we had to get that monologue to understand that to get us over to javier's story yeah and one of the it also creates a separation between them because very not only he delivers a 12 minute monologue and he says like you're not gonna tell me anything I have nothing to tell. I'm a simple man. Uh, and what he does tell him is very poignant of, I would have not taken the money. And that, so it, it shows this very simple differentiation between the two characters. Um, and then we kind of go from there. It's, as I said, it, it asks a lot. Um, you know, in thinking about it uh, structurally, right before we dive more into the characters, I did want to ask you, one of the things I was thinking about is that, when I really look at it, the climax of the movie really is um, not Abby. It's um, Olivia Dylan, right? Dylan um, is Dylan meaning Rodrigo. That is kind of the climax of the movie before we get to the end. Except that kind of happens within the first thirty, forty, maybe fifty minutes, let's say, and then we don't get to the end until obviously way later. And that gap in between, um, you you. Essentially, you always want your climax to be the closer to an ending, the more impactful it is. And so I thought in that sense, it wasn't quite as impactful for me because I was always learning about new characters rather than going deeper with each one. See, and that's interesting because when Dylan actually meets Rodrigo, that the actual moment they you know, visually show us is later in the film. We see the moment where she gets onto the bench and she falls asleep, but we never see her actually meet and then they cut later. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd like to think that the, the climax is actually the mother um, and her, her speech to Rodrigo because the whole Spanish storyline was just building up that family and her health and the decline of her health, which ultimately brings us back to New York with mm -hmm. Rodrigo because we had to connect him in New York to her in Spain. See, if, if, one of the things that makes a movie like this somewhat difficult to process is you, you yourself, in essence, are left to pick the character that is your hero, the the person that you connect with. And by making that choice that, that she was going to be Bella, right, that she was going to be at least the character that created the central theme, for me, I'd connect with her the least. And mm. so... It was hard because I didn't find her words impactful. I was trying to I was trying to understand of like what are you really saying? 
and I got it surface level, but but emotionally it didn't hit me, and so that's why it was tough to really process that ending because it didn't have that umph for me. I connected with other characters. Oh, you see, I connected more with Isabel. Um, I connected during that moment. This was the moment where I was like, yeah, darn it, darn it, Dan Fulgerman, I got, you got me. Um, I, like, maybe I'm just a sucker because, well, I know I'm definitely a sucker for emotional moments. Um, I liked this point because it was so poignant and it was heartbreaking too because this is the beauty of editing. We see just the beginning of her giving that speech to Rodrigo, but then they cut away, and then they go to Rodrigo a little bit, but then they come back to it, and she actually gets to give what she actually said, her goodbye, quote-unquote, to Rodrigo, and I found that very impactful. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo I did like. I, I actually I thought his storyline was the most... like I fell in love with him, maybe because it had a great comedic element with the loud girl. <laughs> And he was just so... Oh, she was awful. <laughs> I wanted... April Fools. Yeah, she's literally the epitome of teenage girls that I hate. <laughs> like, the, she's literally the reason why I hate teenage girls. Because they are so shallow and so immature. And so just not there yet in, in like, just growth and life. And the fact that she thought that was funny is horrible. Pregnancy scares are no joke. I mean, come on. And it, and it, I just felt bad for Rodrigo because she's always saying, oh, you don't know the American culture and stuff. And so, like, he is naive. He wouldn't think that was a joke. He was taking it seriously. And But the fact she thought it was okay, I just wanted to slap her. So good on him for immediately breaking up her. That was like, yeah, good riddance. Good riddance. But that's where when the shift happens and he meets Dylan... We never really explore that. I, I get the connection, right? It's it's a very odd connection. But how do you make that connection in the moment of like... First off, it's not like Rodrigo ever saw the baby that came out of Abby and would have known, oh, you're the baby that the bus hit. Uh, I think if, well, if you t- tie it and parallel it back to Dylan's parents with the whole backstory of um, how those two met with the peanut butter... And there was actually the line, do you believe in, like, love at first sight? And she took a big bite of the peanut butter and she couldn't speak. And that's exactly what Dylan did. She, when they first locked eyes and met each other, and Rodrigo was like, you know, okay. She took a bite of the peanut butter sandwich. So it's like those little nuances. I understood that because we already got it from the first generation, Mm -hmm. love at first sight, that they fell in love at first sight. Okay, that's very good. (laughs) I had... The problem, I totally forgot. I honestly, I but was, in fairness, there's a lot in this film that you would forget about it because they throw so much at us. Yeah, because honestly, I, I knew from the posters and the marketing that Oscar Isaac, Olivia Wilde, and, and Olivia Cook they they were they were heavily kind of featured. I mean, even this has um, has has Oscar on it, right? Yeah. So number one, I didn't believe. I'm like, okay, we're 30 minutes in. We can't kill the guy that we've been following. But we did. <laughs> but we did. I was, I, I, I was just shocked by this, uh, this experience. And uh, I, think, I think a movie like this deserves to see, be seen multiple times. Um, and I say multiple because I don't think twice. I think the second time you finally start to kind of get it a little bit more. But I think even like a third or fourth time. And um, I don't know. Maybe it is like a fine wine. The more you, you kind of – the more – more it sits with you right. 
the the better the taste. And more like now that you understand who's connected to who in which way, now you like if you go back for a second and third time viewing, you'll understand what you're looking for. Like how do you connect to how does Rodrigo connect to this person or whatever. Um but I think that's also maybe I just have I I'd like to think I have a lot of experience of watching nonlinear storytelling. Um, How I Met Your Mother is it a brilliant show that does that every single episode. So maybe I'm just conditioned to look at disconnected stories and somehow put it together in a mental puzzle. Um, I enjoyed that of of life itself. Well, even in that, like that is a principle. When when you go through life, you in essence have to create your own meaning. It's not like any. It's not like all of a sudden there's like a red flag that says, hey, this is important in your life or this is, you know, you kind Mm -hmm. of have to define those moments for yourself. And so at the first time you watch it, the experience of it, you don't necessarily know what to attribute significance and what to attribute just like a throwaway. I think there in in essence lies the brilliance of it because we all get, you know, hindsight is 20-20. We get that added benefit. Right. But if you're living in the present, life doesn't work that way. All right, and you can even go back to uh, Antonio Banderas, um, Mr. Scott, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I'm not even going to try. Sorry. Um, his 12-minute monologue, the only thing you take away out of it is, like, you're not going to remember the whole thing. <laughs> he talks forever. Um, but pers- me, personally, the only thing I took away was his character trait, was he's not a morally just person, or he- he's not as honest of a person like an ideal man. So you know that's going to cause some character, you know, conflict with another person. Yeah, and in that sense, I think what the 12-minute monologue does, it's supposed to lull you into this false sense of security. When you're listening to a story, you're supposed to attribute him as, oh, good for you, right? You had a bad dad, loving mother, you guys liked olives, you care, and then look at look as it would have it you know now now you have a spanish olive farm right it's Mm -hmm. the dream come true good for you (laughs) and so we're kind of suckered into that but he said but javier represents no 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 here's a different viewpoint (laughs) Mm -hmm. and very simply i'm gonna i'm just like that i'm gonna switch it on you yeah and that was the difference between um antonio and banderas i'm just gonna call him antonio antonio's character because i how we we got I mean, we understand how he got the the farm the olive farm but now with Javier we understand how he can maintain the mm-hmm. farm and in Javier what 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 makes that moment so interesting is that is not the fact it'd be one thing if Antonio Banderas was was like going in opposition of Javier but he likes him he says why do you mm-hmm. do you, you you pick with your hands the other people they they beat the olives. Why do you do this? I'm very curious. Like, you're not here because you're in trouble. You're here because I like you. Yeah. It's Javier who flips it on him. And that's, I, I think that's the, the sheer brilliance of it um, in that moment. And and yet, as life goes by, they still maintain, like, they're still civil with each other. They may not agree, but the fact that, you know, the thing that comes out later, he's been writing letters to Javier this entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I think Lord. I think there was also kind of just personal atonement for his character because he clung onto Javier's wife Isabel 
so much and that family even rodrigo like he inserted himself into that family a little bit more than he should have to the point where it drove javier to jealousy and ultimately drove javier away so in a sense that his antonio banderas uh like he broke up a family so mm-hmm. to atone that was uh, i know what i did wrong i'm gonna keep you updated through these letters of what's happening with your family because essentially i broke you up that was Javier was a to me a, a very tragic character because because of how amazing he did start. He did want to be a good man. He, the fact that he picked olives with his bare hands and worked double what the other men did shows a lot, right? And so he goes into his family life having having a, in, in essence created a, a reality of his dream. They have a house. He's marrying the love of his life. They're they're going to have a child, but the problem is. The child, through his innocence or whatever, doesn't appreciate what the father did. He doesn't know that history that his father went through to create this amazing life for him. It's just kind of for him, it's as it always is. Right. And also with the Javier storyline, there was the, I believe, the the voiceover from the previous narrator, the the hero or villain, they kept switching back Mm -hmm. and forth. And if you think about it, Javier and Antonio Banderas, like their characters do switch. Um, When... Antonio's. I feel bad that I keep Mr. Like, Sassion. Sassi- yeah, Sassi- it's Italian, yeah. like Serafini. Sassion. Like someone's going to hate me, I'm sorry. Um, Sassion. Uh, he helps Javier's family by like paying for all the therapy sessions and stuff. So, like in a way, that paints him as a good guy, a good man. And then Javier's the one who becomes a drunk and becomes. Um, emotionally violent towards his wife and he essentially becomes the villain so it, it is this character with the narration of what narrative do we follow and life itself is confusing in that way like what we're set up to believe is not ultimately what actually ends up happening mm-hmm. That that is a good point and part of it it should be noted that it certainly does not like it's one thing to have your child go through trauma the way Rodrigo does, but Javier, in essence, was "quote unquote" responsible not by taking them to New York, but because he didn't. He just let him, Rodrigo, run around on the bus mm-hmm. when he should have had a, you know, more stricter hand, let's say, or at least pulled him out so he wasn't distracting the bus driver of all people. You're right. So, um, but I want to shift gears because, interestingly enough, we have not talked about the characters that kicked this off, which is Abby and Will, <laughs> the main, the main two at the beginning. I found it interesting that not only does the movie already ask you a lot, but it has references to Quentin Tarantino movies that you either know or you don't know. Mm-hmm. And we're not stopping if you don't. And I think you kind of have to throw them in there because Samuel L. Jackson's in there. So not to say added or deterred the movie in any which way, but it wasn't really necessary because we only had Samuel L. Jackson's voice for about three minutes. Well, I, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure unless there's evidence that you have that points otherwise. But I, I imagine they were going to have that aspect of it in there regardless. And then it just happened to be serendipitous that Samuel L. Jackson was going to be a narrator. Right. And the interesting thing about the Will and Abby storyline, this is the only storyline we see in two different versions. Everyone else is like two different stories connecting this one is the same story told in two different ways and one is funny 
with Samuel Jackson, and one is more traumatic, which is the the actual realistic aspect. But when you bring it back to the therapy session and that Benny's character, who totally underutilized because she's fantastic, but she also played her part, um, makes sense because that is what happens during trauma. We see trauma is an is a theme throughout this whole film. Like, what? How do we see life differently after trauma? And that's what Will did. He he was trying to repiece all the memories that he had to help co- cope with this trauma of losing his wife. And I was like, yeah, that is what what happened. Uh, for a long time, as you're piecing this together, you start wondering, how much of a piece of shit are you? In the sense, because we don't know. We, we see moments where he's talking to his wife post whatever happened six months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay... You must have, like, you did something bad, and she doesn't want to take you back in her life. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. You didn't talk to her. Okay, you didn't talk to her. Fine. You didn't talk to her because she's dead. <laughs> so the way it all, all kind of um, happens is it goes darker and deeper. Right, and it's also very confusing because this is the first storyline we do have to follow, and it's two different versions. And they show us different versions of Will being very loving, very um, like a, a good husband to his wife, and then another one where he's kind of overbearing, and with the whole belief of like, what do we believe? Which is true. Like, I really don't know, especially the moment when it leads up to his ultimate death, and and we still don't really understand which character, which. Like, was he the loving husband or was he the overbearing husband? We still never really got that answer. Well, I think I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle and you have to sort of interpret that for yourself. And I think I think what it ultimately comes down to is that Will is taking too much blame for something that was just unfortunate and happened. Right. So he, he mm-hmm. we, he's attributing it more meaning than he has to because it was a horrific thing. Um, and a couple of things to note um, in terms of the production before we return to the story. Number one, as far as this specifically, uh, when when Dan's mother passed away, this is what kind of how he was dealing with the trauma. And so he, he thought about therapy and, and these these various aspects of how to you know piece it together, um, the meaning and so forth. And so he drew a lot of the, these aspects to that, specifically the fact that his his wife would never get to meet his mother because mm-hmm. you know she had passed away before that time secondly uh to your point about oscar isaac and annette benning being just fantastic he says you don't audition them yeah <laughs> you right. invite them to your movie and hope that they say yes essentially yeah they're oscar winners you don't you don't need to audition them and uh, and dan fogelman has had experience with working with annette benning before because she was in danny collins so and Oscar is just phenomenal, and it, this was the surprising thing to me when he's only in the film for ten minutes. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, what? When in the, all the trailers, and we'll definitely get to promotion, not to jump ahead. Um, but promotion, they're heavily featuring Oscar Isaac, and I get it. He's he's the cell. He's one of the cells. Yeah, but you know what? what I there's. Like Antonio Banderas, then Antonio Banderas is equally as big to me. Um, Olivia, Olivia Cook, uh, she's 
she's a star of an you know she's rising in talent mm-hmm. you know not as big as Olivia Wilde or Oscar Isaac you know let's say but uh, but she's been in Steven Spielberg film I'm like at the beginning of this year and like she was also in Bates Motel so Olivia Cook and she's young she's like the same age as me um she she's a great actress in television and in film yeah all across the board really phenomenal acting everywhere mm-hmm. even loud girl <laughs> she played her role well i'm sure she's Annoying. not like that like in yeah. real life mm-hmm. yeah, you know I, I remember she's not. playing a character <laughs> right i hope she was great as being annoying teenager yes I, in that sense i believed her <laughs> indeed um all right i know we've been kind of jumping around but i guess but that's the, the story <laughs> that is the story i guess the logical um way to sort of go would be to talk about the daughter of Dylan and Rodrigo. Because mm-hmm. she says it's not her story, but she's the one telling it. She's the one who wrote the book. She's the one who's ultimately telling it from beginning. From beginning to the end, we actually hear her voice intermittently throughout the entire film. Um, it makes more sense once you get to the end. But this is where I feel like everyone else's narration kind of like ruined her own when she becomes the main narrator at the end. And we get her reveal, but we're only on her for two minutes. And as a viewer, I'm like, yeah, now I want to know more about you. But the movie's over. So in a sense, her character did feel like, yes, we know everyone else's backstory to lead up to her story. But now I just want to know her current story moving forward. We got everyone's backstories. Now I need to know the forward story. Yeah. Which, the future stories. I mean, each one, that, that's... When I when I kind of look at it, right, I I think there could be short films made or like offshoots. Each character has their own story and that's not fully explored. For example, I really love Dylan, her mom, and and the grandfather. They start off so hey, loving. Patinka and Aaron, <laughs> I loved him. <laughs> Clink. Uh, you know, they, they had their moments even even as Dylan grew to this punk kid. There there was still that love. Um, I I don't know like as as far as the daughter of of Dylan what I guess I f- think I took away from it was that she's finally the result of of all this tragedy that's happened for all these people mm-hmm. she is the goodness and which is sad to th- but that's a very sad way to look at it cuz there's three generations of just complete misery but they had their moments to, you know so yeah like they had, it wasn't all misery they had Certain moments in their life that were, yes, traumatic, that overshined their happiness. But I, I the, but also leading to the main character at the end. I just wanted to see her now. We got everybody else now, and now I want to know about you. Yeah, For me, the, the aspect that's most interesting is that I know she says kind of like a very clear message to, to round out the movie. But like life itself, I'm still more confused... <laughs> And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the movie life itself. I'm talking about life itself. Yeah. It is unpredictable. So in that sense, they definitely got that message across. Yeah, it's You can't predict it. Um it is an interesting aspect. Uh, any other storyline elements that you want to talk about before we dive more into the production aspects? 
Yeah, I think we pretty much covered it. Okay, I know we jumped around, but I think we, we got to most of the major plot points. If for some reason we missed anything or you you want us to dive a little bit deeper, by all means, in the comments section, we encourage you, write something we will read, we will respond. The conversation doesn't... It begins with us, but it does not end with us. Just like just like the girl's story is not over. Right. This show. We needed, like, a timeline. So, for, like, because I'm a visual person. So, it's Will... And and Abby. Abby that leads into um, have, but you got the duel, so you got Will yeah. and Abby, but at the same time you've got Javi, Javier and right. Isabel. Javier and Isabel, by extension, Mister Sacion. Yep. Okay, so he's here, and, and then that leads into the next generation, which is Rodrigo and Dylan. Yep. So and we're here, D- and that ties Dylan ties back to Abby and yep and Will. I'm going to make Marissa make a graphic over the weekend of this. I can picture it in my head. Like, I get it. I get it. I like. Yeah. I love puzzles. Well, so, to that point, though, in writing the, the movie, he did it linearly, right? He said, from start to finish, mm-hmm. here's their lives, here's how I'm going to write it, and then we'll figure out the later. Right. So, uh, you know, probably a, probably a good place to start, from start to finish. Yeah, and the interesting thing, if we're going to go more into the production aspect now... Because uh, there are so many storylines, they did actually, for the most part, film uh, chronologically. They started with Oscar Isaac, um, then it went from Oscar to Olivia filming, and then uh, they moved over to Span, uh, Spain, Spain, Spain with um, with Javier, and it just kept going. And then they went back to New York. So they. <laughs> Good, good on them because it would be confusing to film this movie if you did it, if if, if you didn't do it chronologically. Yeah, and they had a. I'm sure they had a wonderful time. They started in March of 2017, so when you pretty much get to spend spring and summer in New York and in Spain, not a bad gig. No, <laughs> not at all. No. Spain looks gorgeous. It does, and you know, uh, it's not like. It's not like we're traversing through all of Spain. Um, we're certainly not in Madrid or Barcelona or any of those. But, but 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 the 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 olive farm in and of itself is a gorgeous place. Yeah, and and I think that it felt like such a true native storyline to Spain because you don't think of olive branches, you know, at all. <laughs> when was the last time you thought of an olive farm? You haven't, trust me. <laughs> and so, like, I loved how they actually touched upon a realistic storyline that would happen in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And, you know, visually, visually, I can't say enough about this movie. It just, it looked wonderful. And even the technique, right? Especially early on to have Samuel Jackson coming in and out or Oscar Isaac interacting with Oscar Isaac. Um, and the spins and th- it felt the the early parts felt like a Michelle Gondry movie. Uh, he's done Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, The Science of Sleep, and movies uh, Be Kind Rewind. That's a little bit more mm. normalized for him. So, um, do you concur or do you disagree? You've seen all those movies. Actually, I haven't. What? <laughs> so moving no. on. Okay. I've seen part of it, Eternal Sunshine okay. of the Spotless Mind. Moving on. Anyway, we, we, the, the point being that. Uh, a lot of that movie, the tricks are done in real life. And so rather than kind of do visual effects in, in post-production, you kind of do it on the fly through camera, old school tricks. 
and it very much felt like that you know okay. especially like even the old like zoom in zoom in uh, well like uh, i love the the beginning of the film you know with the first five minutes narrative that was like breaking the fourth wall and uh, so i i can understand that like and they were very self-aware of who's listening their audience it did add humor which started the film off humorous but ended the film more dramatic mm-hmm. and the song in terms of devices, right? It meant a lot for the characters, Bob Dylan's song, right? And that took each sort of phase throughout their life. It took on a different meaning. At first, it didn't start off that important. Like, ah, whatever. And let's let's listen to uh, Smash Mouth or whatever he said. I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> but that gets recycled. And as an audience, it takes new meaning on for us as well. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, so I, th- I thought techniques like that really worked well. And I like, I mean, everyone loves Bob Dylan. I shouldn't say everyone. But Bob Dylan is like a running thread throughout this entire film because his music goes through entire generations mm-hmm. and spans across in like different countries. He's international and multi-generational. So good for Bob Dylan. What is the quote? I'm Bob Dylan and you're not, so fuck you. <laughs> right. Okay, there you go. There you go. Yeah. You know, no comment on that either way. What did you think about the other music, though, in, in addition to good old Dylan? I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Admittedly, I didn't really... Uh, uh, I, I noticed the, the music during the moment where uh, Will shoots himself because it gets dramatic and it completely changes the whole tone of the film it goes from comedic to immediate dramatic because you just witnessed a suicide and that shifts us over to the next storyline so there's a lot of instrumental that um transitions us to each story i like that uh yeah and you know um totally like through editing one that it was a very big shift and um it, I'm still trying to examine that moment only because, like, I don't know. It, it's tough to process, right? You 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 are watching something comedic, and then it's not that he just commits suicide. He just he just does it, you know, out of nowhere. Right. And he says one line, and then boom. Yeah. Literally, boom. Um. So it it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, a lot to a lot to process there for sure. Um. In a, in a sense, though, towards the end of the movie, the music for me almost kind of ramped up. Um, a lot of Christopher Nolan movies kind of do this where they'll have a piece of music that just gets faster and faster and faster as we as we get to kind of what the point is. It felt similarly to that. Now, it's not obviously the same composer. Um, not that that is reserved for Christopher Nolan's composers, but uh, Federico Giussi. <laughs> Yeah. Is that, I don't know. I apologize. Federico Juicy, probably. I apologize, my friend. You are a good composer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I enjoyed him. Uh, great, great. He, I mean, he, he's actually he's a three-time winner of the International Film Music Critics Award for his score of Isabel and Carlos V, um, a pre- previous work. But he's a pianist and composer and conductor, and he's done a lot of TV work. Mm-hmm. So he definitely has that experience. Indeed. And so one of the nice parts about this movie, um, this 
So we, we, we told you when it was shot and whatnot, but back in still in, this, in, in 2017, there was a bidding war for who was going to get this movie. And I, I, what a day and age we live in. <laughs> Amazon Studios won out to Universal and Paramount, among others. So the fact that a, a shopping company, I don't even know what you want to call them, they're... They got some good movies. Amazon, like if you think about Amazon Studios, the their past few are like Academy Award at least nominated. I mean, we had uh, Manchester by the Sea. Manchester by the Sea, which you know a lot of accolades for that. Um, also, um, Kumal Jani. Oh, uh, the Big Sick. Yeah, the Big Sick. Also <laughs> in Amazon Studios, and that was nominated for Best Writing. You're like, did it win for Original Screenplay? Um, so, like, they're they're getting a lot of great films that can be notably recognized for Academy Awards season. And they're taking a shot, right? I, you know, we we as as we're kind of winding down, we mentioned it at the top, but twelve uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes, right? And so, I, w- w- in a sense, I, what I do appreciate about Amazon Studios is their willingness to take a shot, and. And a movie like this is very daring and bold. It's for some people, apparently not for critics. No, critics did not like this. But the general fan, which we are general fans, liked it. I mean, the Tato meter is 78. That's a really high passing grade. And a B-plus on cinema score uh, could be a little bit higher, but that's still nothing to sneeze at. It was well-received at the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, But what I'm shocked most about, we got it here in the States you know, recently. This doesn't come out in the UK till 2019. That is a large, but, you know, then again, I don't know how, like, the full distribution rights right now work with this movie. Um, But anyway, the point is that it leaves the the door open for this to pick up steam and and eventually kind of make a lot more money down the line. Right, and I want to see how it does well in the UK and even... Over in Spain, I mean, we have main actors from from Spain with a heavily featured um, Spanish storyline. So I, I, I want Spanish see, too. Yeah, literally. Um, so I want to see like how it's received over there. And but this also isn't the first time where a film's released here, and months later it's released in another another country. And conversely, we've had films that are over on, across the pond first, and then it comes over here. Yeah. Usually, a monster calls that that another very heavish, heavily Spanish film released in Spain, directed by a, Sp- a Spaniard. Um, it was released in October of 2016, and America didn't get it to January of 2017. Yeah. All right, you're a big advocate of this movie, um, so there's there's two quotes that we have in our on re- our rundown in support of this movie from the filmmakers. Do you want to read Olivia Wilde's or Dan Fogelman's? Oh, you can say Dan's. <laughs> All right. So he says this. I don't know why on earth a critic would come out of something saying it's emotional or they're trying to manipulate me to have emotion. What else are we doing? Exactly. Like, what kind of a movie do you want? Right. Films are supposed to evoke emotion. Then why the hell are you watching them? If they're not supposed to make you feel something. Well, Olivia Wilde goes a little bit deeper, so yeah. you get to read hers. She says, it's not invoked to be sentimental right now. I think people are experiencing a tremendous amount of anger and pain. 
um, she says this to Newsweek, that has created a kind of societal cynicism that's totally understandable. I think that is what is reflected in the reviews, a resistance to sentimentality. I People just don't want to feel. <laughs> and Or find meaning. I, I, think, uh, I think they're right. I, I think they've hit it on the head with it as far as what's going on. And, you know, um, unfortunately, d- depending on times, like maybe if this movie came out years prior or years down the line where we're a little bit more happy, things would be a little bit different. Yeah, but, I mean, and I think maybe they didn't like this film because it did maybe hit a little too close to home for some people. I mean, we had a story about... You know, cancer. We had a story about suicide. So, like, there are a lot of realistic, traumatic storylines in this film that maybe some people just didn't gravitate to. I get that. Um, it could be hard to watch and to follow for a film, but the the feeling and the emotion you get out of it is something to remember. And I, most of my favorite films are the ones that made me feel like some type of extreme emotion, whether it be angry or sad. Um, that's but what like, movies do. They they exactly. are the they are the mirror to society. Exactly. That's how memories are created. When the sensor, the neuro, it's actual science. When your sensors are on overload. So it's unfortunate. I hope this movie continues to pick up steam. Um, I, I really wish it luck. I. It's unfortunate that I don't think it'll get the recognition. And it's not to say that it's for me. It's not to say that it's the best movie out there, um, but at the same time, I don't think. I, I let's put it this way: I've seen a lot of garbage movies this year. This is not a garbage movie. Yeah, this is not a twelve percent film. So, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I really enjoy this film. Honestly, I would probably buy this when it comes out. This is. It has Marissa written all over it. And some of my favorite movies are the interconnected storyline. Another remember, film. Go ahead. Another film that I sh- would suggest that definitely evokes emotion, pay it forward. Yes. Yes. Very good one. A brilliant film. And that was 20, that was 20 years ago. Um, well, it's technically 18 years ago if we timestamp this show. Um, but that's another film with four different storylines, all completely different people somehow connected. Mm-hmm. Even Crash. That's an even newer one. Yeah, that, that one got a lot of recognition. I didn't like that one so much. But that's neither here nor there. All right. Well, if there's anything that you want to us to talk about a little bit further, by all means, let us know in the comments section. In the meantime, thank you for joining us. If you want to interact with us on a more direct level at Serafini TV. That's, that's right. where you can interact with Marissa. I'm at Phil Svitek. And next week we'll be doing A Star is Born yes. as well as Venom. So fun stuff to look forward to. And as we're, we go from summer, we're fully now into fall. This is, we've got a lot. I, I was looking at the schedule of movies. Oh boy, how are we going to cover all these? But we will do our best to cover every single movie that you care about. So uh, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next week with The Star is Born and Venom. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 